which is a good thing to, to sing. It's a great thing to pray. And it's the exact thing we're going to be talking about today. Do we want to be like Jesus? It's not always easy, is it? You ever tried it? You ever tried the WWJD? <laughs> small, small, easy bracelet to wear, but man, you get in some of those situations, you're like, uh, I'm just going to take that off for a second. <laughs> Be like Jesus. You know, we're in Luke, and for those of you who have maybe just joined us the last couple weeks, you're like, man, this church talks about money all the time. One of those churches. Let me just once again reiterate what we're doing. We've been working through Luke for almost two years. Has it been almost two? For a long time, a year and a half we've been doing this. And we take Luke as it comes to us. And when we get to some parts where Jesus is telling us that he loves us and he's healing people, oh, we're talking about that. And we get to the parts where he's talking about Woe to you, we talk about that. We talk about money, we talk about that. We are not mincing Jesus' words. And so we're, we're taking Luke as it comes. And so we invite you to, if you're, if you're new here, to stay on this journey with us because we are trying to discover fully and more who this person of Jesus is so that we can be more like him, like the song said. And so the past three weeks have been quite a ride. Um, a lot of fun. I personally love the difficult passages it's a lot of, it's a challenge to preach. I hope it's fun for you guys, but this is whole process. And today's no different. Today's passage is just one of those that we probably would not have gotten to if we were just picking and choosing what we like to preach and like to hear. So we go to Luke 17, a difficult chapter. Now, I'm not going to put this on the screen today. I asked them not to. Because I've noticed when I have it on the screen and I want to start talking, you guys go ahead and just keep reading ahead. I mean, and no one likes spoilers, right? I mean, who is Nick going to pick? We don't like spoilers. <laughs> we don't like jokes in church that only some people know. <laughs> 17, verse 1. Jesus turns to his disciples. Now, remember, he's preaching in this, we're assuming it's still in the same place, and there's sinners and tax collectors there, and there's there's. Pharisees and religious elite there. There's all people of all spectrums, all in between. And then there's his apostles, his disciples, his people. And so he's turning and talking to them while others are listening in. He says to his disciples in verse 1, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. The Greek word here is scandalon for stumble. And that's where we get the word scandal. Scandal, scandalous things are bound to come. Listen, in your life, trials and temptations, sins and offenses, guess what? They're going to come your way. My son is four and he's learning that life isn't, life isn't what? Yeah. Jesus says, uh, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. Yeah. You guys, you guys have that testimony? Well, yep. If you're human, you've been there. You know, this, this word carries the picture of a snare or trap. You know, like those old school ones we used to make in marble with a stick and a rope, and we put a little chipmunk in there and yank it out? That's, what this, that's actually what the word is saying, that scandals are bound to come and trap you. Temptation comes, you get caught in sin, a scandal. You see, we don't have to create these things. Life has a way of bringing these to us. There's a, a man who made a lot of money, or a woman who made a lot of money, by making a bumper sticker that said, stuff happens. And it does. Things that cause us to stumble are bound to come. Life just has a way of bringing it to us. We can all agree. But he keeps going. He says, things that come, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe, <laughs> the woe, but woe to anyone through whom they come. 
To the person that causes someone else to stumble, that's a different matter. Things are going to come in life and cause you to stumble, but woe to the person who brings that. The message translation says this. He said to his disciples, hard trials and temptations are bound to come, and it is really bad for whoever brings them to them. Stumbling blocks are a common theme in the Bible. You've ever heard this stumbling block? I don't want to be a stumbling block. This this is in Christian speak. The stumbling block is there because it's in the Bible. We have this this over and over. And there's other verses that help, help give us some context. And one of them is Romans 14, 13. It says, therefore, now if you've heard this, if the Bible says therefore, what do you do? You go see what it's there for. So in verse 13 when it says therefore, well we should go back to verse 11 and see what he's saying. He says, it is written... As sure as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow, every tongue confess God. Each of you will give an account of yourselves to God. So he's saying, because of this, because there'll come a day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess and every person will give an account, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your not, mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of your brother or sister. In view of eternity, as we're all on this journey together, all of us trying to follow Jesus, be like Jesus, as we are doing this, and in light of the fact that someday we will stand before him and give an account and that we will all bow and all confess that he is God, because of the reality that is coming in this reality, listen, Don't cause someone to stumble. We are on this place to be walking to be like Jesus. Don't put a stumbling block in front of somebody. He gives us a forward view and then it tells us why we don't do that now. We're working towards something, not to cause someone to stumble. Now this is an interesting thing because people stumble on anything these days, don't they? Don't they? I mean, don't people just stumble on almost everything I'm going to stay away from so many things here. But in, t- in today's political correct climate, I've probably already offended a lot of people somehow. <laughs> if it's you, Sonny, that's okay. <laughs> but let me ask you this. He's not talking about that. He's not talking about PC and offense, offenses. Because you know what? Offenses are different than sins. You're going to get offended all the time. What he's talking about here is this. Have you ever had God convict you of something? Something perhaps you shouldn't do, you shouldn't say, something you shouldn't wear, something you shouldn't listen to, something you shouldn't watch, and it makes no sense to the world around you? Have you ever been there and done that? I, I was the Christian kid that like, got rid of all my secular CDs at one point. I just, oh, I'm not going to listen to those. And my friends were like, well, can I have them then? Like, can I have those? I'm like, I, all I have is DC Talk and Amy Grant, and I'm trying to live the Christian life with this, trying to do it. And they have Bon Jovi, and they had Vanilla Ice at one point. Oh, you ever been convicted of something personally that made no sense? It wasn't, politi- it wasn't political, it wasn't cultural, it was spiritual, and it was personal, that you would not cause others to stumble, that God had asked you not to do something. When you get kids, this goes to a whole other level as you realize half the things you do cause people to stumble. The reality is that Jesus' follower may be asked during seasons of their life to lay things down so that others do not stumble. It's not political. 
It's not cultural. They might try to politicize it. They may tr- culture might try to fight it. But it's deeply personal. And it's deeply spiritual. As believers, we should have a heart for our brothers and sisters. We should be mindful of them. And that the things that we do affect them. I believe that's true, and I believe that Jesus is telling us that's true through this. This is a hard topic, but there's, there's something important, and that's the motivation of it. And so we turn to 1 John 2, 9. 2, 10. Excuse me. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. You know, what this says is saying a lot of things in here, but those of us who live in the light of Jesus aren't stumbling, and we're also out of love for our brother and sister, motivated out of love, not causing others to stumble. This isn't a, a legalistic thing. It's not a, even like a, just a super religious, we're not gonna do these things out of religious. We're not gonna do these things out of love. Whatever it may be, we're not gonna cause people to stumble because we're motivated by love. Love for God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love for others. So that's what he's asking us here. That we would love God and love people and that we wouldn't do things, put things in front of people that would cause them to stumble or fall into sin. The point is we need to be motivated by this love. And yes, it's hard because anyone can trip up at any time and do we have to take ownership of that? I don't, I don't know, I don't think so. I don't know the line of, I'm just gonna be honest. It's really hard not to offend people. The conviction of God does speak to us. The word of God gives us some clarity. And beyond that, personally in your life, he can give you some clarity on some things that maybe for a season or even for, a, for your life, you cease to do. Cease to do. Cease to listen to. Cease to say. Cease to be a part of. Don't be a stumbling block. This has nothing to do with political correctness and everything to do with spiritual conviction. And, and, and uh, can we move beyond that? We uh, belabored this point. We, we get it, Jesus, kind of out, out of love, out of love, let's watch what we do so that we don't cause brothers and sisters to stumble. But then Jesus says something next that just makes you gasp. I mean, he, he goes from zero to 100 real quick here. He says this. It would be, so he goes, don't cause anyone to stumble. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Like Jesus, we were just having a conversation. We were just talking. We were just sitting here talking about, you know, not causing someone to sin. And then you had to go say a millstone around the neck and thrown into the sea. Like Jesus, what are you talking about here? It would be better to be thrown into the sea with a millstone necklace than to cause someone to stumble. Now this is somewhat hyperbole because a millstone is, 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 is huge. It's one ton. It's over a ton. You're not taking it and throwing it into the ocean. The, the, the whole community can't grab it and go, we're throwing it into the ocean. He's saying something here. He's making, it's hyperbole. He's saying like, listen, it would be better for a swift ending if you cause a little one to stumble. And who are these little ones? You know, Matthew 18 and later Luke, it says they're children. So is it children? Yes, it absolutely probably is children. Is it, he just got in talking about Lazarus, the poor and the downtrodden. Is that a little one? Yes, in God's kingdom, that could be it. I'm just gonna go and say little ones, that it does, we're gonna assume it's children always. But also, let's go ahead and say that it's anyone who looks up to you. It's a new believer. It's a younger believer. It's a more immature believer. It's maybe somebody who's not a believer yet. It would be better to 
tie a millstone around your neck and go into the sea than to cause a young, immature little one to stumble. Jesus, really? Where's the love? Where is the love in this? To those that are younger in faith and younger in life, it's, it's that big of a deal? I mean, he goes, Jesus goes full mafia here. He's like, yo, yo, you cause one of, my, one of my bambinos to sin? We'll make you some concrete slippers. Sleep in the harbor with the fishes. That's what he's saying. You will have concrete on you, cement, and we will throw you into the sea if you cause a little one to stumble. Better to have a swift end. This is a stern warning. This is one of Jesus' most stern warnings. He takes this very seriously. And I think we should as well. When he, Jesus says something like, you, it'd be better to have a millstone around your neck and thrown into the sea, we should go, I want to kind of pay attention to those things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to zero in there for a while and ask him, where am I at all being a stumbling block to a little one, someone younger in the faith, some, someone who's a pre-believer, someone, just a child, where? And just in my freedom and me going through my life, and I'm saved by grace, I can do what I want, but where is that causing maybe someone to stumble? I want to know that. I want to be sober-minded about these things. This is a, a very serious, stern warning. I mean, he's just said, motivated by love of your brother and sister, don't be a stumbling block. And don't take this lightly. This is a very big issue. Look at your life. Ask yourself. Ask the Spirit of God. Where are the little ones in my life? And do I have any stumbling blocks that I'm putting before them? So he's talking to his disciples, and he says something in verse 3. He says, so watch yourselves. So watch yourselves. And remember, and when Jesus spoke this, he didn't go, verse 3, so watch yourselves. Chapter 17, verse 3. He didn't, the numbers were added later. So there's lots of debate. Is, is this actually, so watch yourselves. Is that part of verse 2? Or is that part of verse 3? And if you look in your Bible, it's part of verse 3, but they put it up in the paragraph of verse 2. Like, I, I don't know. Jesus is just having a conversation. He says, it's better to, ha- better to do this than have a millstone. Better to have a millstone around your neck. Not better. You will be thrown into the sea with a millstone around your neck. So watch yourself. So watch yourself. In the original context, what is he saying here? If you're sitting next to somebody and you're really hoping they're listening to this, you should watch yourself. If you're listening to this and you're like, oh man, I gotta send this podcast to them, to him. So watch yourself. If you've already nudged your spouse, nudge them right back and go, watch yourself. This is a very serious thing God's asking us to do. We should Watch ourselves when it comes to stumbling blocks and little ones. So let's go back into this. So watch yourself. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. Now this is where the room splits emotionally. Based on your personality, you either just got really excited or you started to sink into your chair. We've left the stumbling blocks behind and we're now working on when someone sins against you, rebuke them. Not a sin in general. When someone just goes and sins, when someone sins against you, rebuke them. Rebuke them. Now, there are those of us in here that avoid conflict at all costs. 
And there are those of us in here, like myself, who relish conflict, you would think, who don't mind it. If you're listening today and you're one of those that values relational harmony above all things, this verse is terrifying. If someone sins against me, go rebuke them? That sounds like a big thing, rebuke. If you're listening and you're one of those who values conflict, you're already working on a list of names. <laughs> like the Bible has already authorized you to go rebukes. Oh, this is going to be a great afternoon. Mm, preach it, preacher. See, there's those making lists right now. <laughs> and there's those saying, well, I find that in my life, it's better, to, it's better to just let things go. And by let things go, I mean bury them deep and never bring them up. And so when we read this, there's those of us who think when we have conflict, we bury it down and it, it causes anxiety within us. And those who we read this and go, I'm going to take it out there, and it causes anxiety with people around us. What's he saying here? When someone sins against you, rebuke them? We have both sides. We have both sides of this. Where's the balance? Well, there's a whole spectrum and everybody in between. There's the very well-adjusted people who, are, who sit in the middle. Mom, I'm glad you're here. There's, there's, but, but we're on all sides of this, aren't we? You know where you are and you know where the person next to you is. If they sin against you, rebuke them. Now, the, the word rebuke here, we read it in context of our culture, don't we? When was the last time you rebuked somebody? It's kind of an old word, but in our culture, it, it, it carries a certain flavor. Have you ever been rebuked? Like this week, did you get rebuked? I got rebuked by a four-year-old. Yeah. So in our culture, listen, <laughs> we, we tend to think that this is something like, um, we, would, we would say this is going off on somebody, or ranting, or putting them on blast, or I'm going to go to Facebook, or it's going to be 140 characters worth of rebuke. Like our rebuke is not a discussion. It's putting somebody on blast. It's going off on somebody. You did this to me. And I'm here to tell you about it. Is that what God's saying? Is that what he's saying? Like, hey, you now have permission to go on your Facebook and continue the way you've always been doing it. Put people on blast and rebuke them. The Bible authorizes it. No, that's not what it's saying. It, no, it's not. <laughs> Just make that clear. No, no, no. You know, Amy and I, she's not here so I can tell you this story. <laughs> In our marriage, we are both very strong-willed. Very, very strong-willed. She's quiet, but she is a rock. <laughs> and we are vastly different emotionally and how we respond to people and emotions and react. It, it, my wife is well-adjusted. She has a lot of college degrees and, and master's things and counseling, and she's very, she has all that. I, I'm just high-maintenance. In the relationship, I am the high-maintenance one emotional. Ask her, ask her. And if I do something, or more likely, if I say something that offends her, and she approaches me with anger, you know what I do? What do you think I do? What do you do when your spouse or someone close to you comes to you with anger about that? Man, I get defensive. And I get angry, too. If she approaches me with vulnerability, you know what I do? Man, I respond with openness. See, if I've made my wife mad... This is going to sound bad. If I've made Amy mad, I'm strangely okay with that. <laughs> but if I have hurt my wife, if I've disrespected her, I'm crushed. And those of us who know, know that anger is not the first emotion. It's often the secondary emotion from someone who's been hurt, who's been disrespected. 
So it's all in how the rebuke comes, and it's vice versa. Listen, if, if I go to her with, with anger, she is a fiery one, and she's strangely okay with me being angry at her. But if I come to her with vulnerability, it opens her up. So when it comes to rebuking others, I come with the courage to be vulnerable about how they've sinned against me. Again, not on Facebook. I go to that person, and I, I have to have a courage to be vulnerable. Those of you who hate conflict, you don't have to be angry or loud to rebuke, but you need to have the courage to be vulnerable. Those of you who have no problem with conflict, you don't have to be angry or loud to rebuke. You just have the courage. You have to have the courage to be vulnerable. This honorable, honest, vulnerable rebuke, separate from anger and vengeance, this right here works for both sides regardless of what personality or, or trait you have. And so let's just put it this way. The Bible puts it much better than me. Ephesians 4, 5. Speak the truth in love. That's it. Speak the truth in love when it comes to rebuke. See, over here we have those in har- who love harmony, relational harmony, and they say, I-, I have the love, but I don't have the truth. I don't want to tell them the truth. It might hurt them, and it'll hurt me telling them. And over here, we have these people, and they go, I love the truth, and I love to just give it to people. But I struggle with the love that I communicate it with. It takes the best of both of these. And it sounds something like this. When, when it's a brother or sister uh, in, in faith that sins against you, um, I love you, I love you so much that I can't not share this with you. Like when you treat me like this, it hurts. Or sweetie, usually I would just get angry and freeze you out for a week, but I'm trying this new vulnerability thing that that preacher in the green shoes said, and, and I'm, I'm, I just wanna tell you that you hurt me. Cut me deep. Honey, when you keep doing that, even though I've asked you not to, and I've asked you to stop, it hurts me and I feel disrespected. Brother, I know we joke around a lot, but I need to be honest. When, when you say these certain things, it hooks me, and it's not fun anymore. Sister, I love you so much, but I'm really hurt because I told you some things, and I heard them from someone else, and I was hurt by that. How do you think that causes a response in them other than the anger, the rebuke that you would bring to them? It's vastly different. Whether you're in harmony or conflict, it requires truth in love. When someone sins against you, rebuke them with truth in love. Both have the courage to be vulnerable in how they've sinned against you. Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love. And why? We will grow to become the mature body of Jesus, who is the head. See, as we do this together, we grow in maturity. As you speak truth in love, you grow in maturity, and your relationship with them grows in maturity. We are a church, we're growth groups, we're different pockets of friends. We're all immature in our own ways, all of us in our own ways. But as we get honest with each other and speak the truth in love, we all grow together as a body, as a complete body of Christ. We need to do this with and for each other. We need to love someone enough to tell them the truth in love. We need to love God enough to tell them the truth, not in anger, not in rebuke anger, but in vulnerability with love. We mature individually as a community, as a church. Some people go a lifetime. They go a lifetime without ever doing this. And they don't grow personally. It's stunted. Some marriages go a lifetime and their intimacy is stunted because they're not being honest 
in love. Most churches go a lifetime being ineffective because they cannot share the truth and love with the body of Christ. When was the last time you sat down with a brother or sister and were honest about offense? Out of love, motivated by love. And you grew, and your relationship grew. It equips us as a church and as a community. Let's go back to the text. Verse three of 17. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, seven times in a day, and seven times come back to you and say, I repent, you must, you what? You what? Must forgive them. Seven times a day. Now, seven times, why seven times? That's not that many, right? I know people that, that make seven look like nothing, you know? Seven is the Hebrew, the sages, they believed. They, they actually believed this in the time of Jesus. That based on a verse in Amos, you had to forgive somebody three times if they repented. And beyond that, you never had to forgive them for that again. Three strikes and you're out. So Jesus says seven. He doubles it plus one. Now we'll go on later and Jesus will say something different to Peter. And what Jesus is saying here, because seven in the Bible has a symbolic significance that means the number of divine perfection, divine completeness. If they completely sin against you all day, completely forgive them all day. There's a completeness, a perfection to this. It doesn't just mean seven times because what if they do it eight? No, no, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying you keep count. He's saying you completely forgive the offense, even if they continue to do it all day and come back. That's a tall order. If they sin against you all day, completely and continually forgive them. That's tough. That is very tough. Listen, we are, we are spiritual beings in temporary bodies. Do you know you knew this? I'm 40, I'm learning this. It's a temporary body. It's failing me. Spiritual beings. And there is something to forgiveness that transcends just that one person in that relationship where the transgression is. Let me read to you some things. The new science of forgiveness. Science and studies have found that the act of forgiveness can reap huge rewards for, for your health. It lowers your risk for a heart attack. It improves cholesterol levels and sleep. It reduces pain and blood pressure and levels of anxiety, depression, and stress just by being a person of forgiveness. Flip the coin over. Have you seen the physical effects of unforgiveness? Chronic bitterness, I'm quoting here, puts you into a fight or flight mode which results in numerous changes in heart rate, blood pressure, and your immune secretion and response. These changes increase the risk of depression, heart disease, diabetes, among other conditions. We are like spiritual beings in temporary bodies and forgiveness transcends all of that and means something to every level of who we are. I, I'm just choosing not to forgive this person and my blood pressure is higher and I'm not sleeping as well. Isn't it amazing how it seeps into our entire life? Unforgiveness is like the smoking for your emotional, physical, and spiritual life. It's going to get you. Like, I don't smoke, but I do unforgive. <laughs> it's not. It's the new smoking. I'm going to have a whole campaign. Unforgiveness, not even once. 
See, more than just physical, it's also emotional, it's relational, it's all, it bleeds into all over us. Unforgiveness, and we've heard this before, um, is a toxin. It's a, unforgiveness is a toxin I swallow, and I hope it poisons the other person. It's exactly what it is. I'm swallowing toxins, hoping it poisons them. Oh. And they're over there, and often, have you ever had somebody you're so angry at, and they're clueless? And it just makes it worse. Like, oh, if they only knew. They don't, and they're fine. They're sleeping like a baby at night, and you're up going, oh. Yeah. Unforgiveness is a toxin you swallow that you hope poisons them. It's a bitterness. Bitterness is a toxin that works throughout your soul, your heart, your mind. It makes it run your emotions into your relationships. Have you ever been, like, laying in bed at night, and you're... You, <laughs> I, I had one this week. When you think of that person or those people from your past or like my spouse's past and, and I think of them and I don't, I don't fantasize about like forgiving them. By the end of it, I'm punching them. I'm not even kidding. I'm being very honest, right? vulnerable with you. That's what I preached. Being vulnerable. Have you ever had those like where you get in an argument and you just win in such an obliterating fashion that you just like drop the mic and walk off in your, in your little daydream? Just me. Okay, that's okay. <laughs> I have a problem and I preach to myself. There are people who are like magnets for this stuff and this toxin works through us. If I had a cup of water here and I just put a, some drops of food coloring in this, you know, it would slowly work its way through the water. A, a little bit of unforgiveness and bitterness. We go, oh, it's just this one person. They did me wrong, but it works its way through. And then as life bumps you, whoa. <laughs> or as it gets rocky, it, it, listen, by the end, you are contaminated from top to bottom with a bitterness. And have you seen this in people who something went wrong for them at one point and over time they became bitter at almost anything and everyone? We've, we've seen this. And unforgiveness is just so opposite of God's kingdom, and, and it's such a toxin. See, bitterness in one relationship will affect your other relationship. Bitterness against your parents, that slow infection will affect your relationship with your kids. I know we don't believe this, but how do you think their parents got, how do you think your parents got like they were? <laughs> From their parents. <laughs> bitterness against your ex-spouse will bleed into your relationship with your Next spouse. Bitterness at the workplace will come home with you. Unforgiveness has been proven scientifically, and I believe spiritually, to be infectious in our whole body. It works through us. It's the most contrary thing to God's kingdom. And it stunts, it literally stunts our spiritual growth. We may have known people, you may have known someone who something happened to them at one point and you haven't talked to them for a while or every time you talk to them, it's like you're, they, they tell you the situation. I know, I know about that. I know it happened 10 years ago. I know how bad they were to you. They have not moved beyond it. It has stunted their personal growth. Which is why Jesus makes such a big deal about forgiveness over and over. It's not just that you're not forgiving that one person or those people. It's that it works through your entire life. It contaminates who you are. And you know what it contaminates? The Shema, the prayer that we pray, the vision of this church that we would love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love others as ourselves. We are meant to be conduits of that, conduits. We have received such great love that we would pass it on and unforgiveness stops that. You cannot operate fully as a kingdom agent how he wants if you have bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart. 
It is just a plug, it's a cork for what God wants to work in you and through you. But I, I know, I know, I know, I don't know. I don't know how bad your circumstances are. But I know that all circumstances are unique. And I know if we had the chance to sit down and you could tell me exactly what they did and what they're doing to you, it would, it would, it would make us angry. I mean, how could they do that? How could that happen? I, I know I know we all have our own unique set of, of pain files in our life that say, but you don't understand what they did, what they robbed, what they stole, what they took from me. You don't understand what they're doing to me and the ones I love. You don't get it. You're asking too much. He asks a lot, doesn't he? Forgiveness is one of the hardest things because we can be 100% justified in our unforgiveness. I, they don't deserve it. Look what they're doing. And that's, we have to, you have to realize that toxin with that will work through you. That bitterness works through us. It, 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 it poisons us. Listen, I want to say this. Someone may have hurt you deeply and still be hurting you deeply. But living with bitterness towards them only allows them to continue hurting you. Forgiveness sets you free, not them. It sets you free. This is a hard teaching. It's, forgiveness, it, it seems so easy. We get forgiveness, Daniel. That's, that's just 101 Christianity. I know I could have preached that service for you. It's one of the easiest teachings, but it's one of the hardest things to live out. It's truly so hard. And I know that many of us who claim to, 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 to have, we've been in church for a while, and we, we have the, the, the Christian life. We, we claim, well, I, I forgive. I, I, I have a Christian smile, and I forgive all people. I have no problem with people. But Jesus is not acting us, asking us to act like it didn't happen. He's asking us to deal with it. He's not asking us to bury it. Pretending it didn't happen and we smile isn't forgiveness it's not forgiveness. This is a hard teaching. It's hard and Jesus knows it's hard. And his disciples, as they're hearing it, can I tell you, they know it's hard. But see, oftentimes we get glib about it. You know, we, we hear a sermon. I've heard, a, I, you know how many sermons I've heard on this? I grew up hearing sermons. I've heard, I've heard sermon after sermon on forgiveness. You know what we do? We say we should. We say we'll try. We go out and we try to do it. They do it again and we're done. <laughs> Or we just ignore it, or we justify it. But you don't know what they've done. Yet when Jesus said that we should forgive those all day, seven times, perfected, when he said this thing, when he's preaching this, his disciples are understanding how hard it is. And they didn't move beyond the sermon and go, oh, okay, I'll work on that, Jesus. Do you know what they did? Do you know what their response was? Jesus, we know this. You've been talking about forgiveness for a while. We know, Jesus. We get it. And the response is astounding to me. Let's go back. He says, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. If they repent, forgive them. If they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back and say, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. This blows my mind. They were told to forgive and they said, increase our faith. No, no. Increase our love. Increase our grace. Increase our mercy. In 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 increase our faith. I just want to remind you who these disciples are. 
Okay, I want to, I want to remind you who they, who they are. Increase our faith. These are the disciples of Jesus. In, in Luke 4, they watched him heal, heal crowds of sick people. We've been through all these Lukes, by the way. In Luke 4, he, he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And we know that's a miracle, healing a mother-in-law. I mean, they, they have seen him do amazing things. In Luke 5, there's the miraculous catch of fish. He cleanses the leper. He heals the man who was paralyzed. In Luke 6, he heals the man with the withered hand. You remember that? And then uh, in Luke 6, he heals multitudes of people by the sea. And then also, he's already fed the 5,000, and they've seen him walk on water. In Luke 7, he healed the centurion's daughter. He raises the widow's son from the dead. During the funeral procession, the kid sits up and talks. They saw that. They were there. In Luke 8, a woman touches his cloak and is healed, showing that he has power over sickness. He raises a young girl from the dead. He has power over death. He stilled the storm, showing he had power over nature. He rebuked the demon, the, guy, the man of Gerasi, showing he has power over the supernatural. They were there. They saw it all. And he asked them to forgive, and they say, give us more what? faith you guys you've been you you've seen him do all those we you saw him do all those things and you need faith to forgive why did they choose the word faith I, i just can't believe that that this that was their response see when they were confronted with the need to live a lifestyle of forgiveness they pleaded, give me more faith. And, you know, I've seen Jesus calm the storm, but forgive my father and mother, I need more faith for that. I've seen Jesus raise the dead, but forgive my abuser, I, I need faith. I need more faith. I've seen Jesus feed thousands, but forgive my ex, I need more faith. I've seen Jesus heal a paralyzed person, but forgive my boss, my old boss, I need, I need faith. It seems like forgiveness requires faith and they felt it lacking. It's almost like they had all the faith in the world in Jesus, maybe, but they had no faith in themselves and no faith in God in them that they could do this. I don't know if I can forgive. Give me more faith. I'm supposed to forgive somebody all day completely? Give me more faith. I do believe you can stop a storm, but forgive? Give me more faith. Man, it's, it, forgiveness is a spiritual issue. And, and your faith fuels forgiveness. Your faith fuels forgiveness. And no matter what they saw Jesus do when confronted with the reality that they needed to forgive, they pleaded for more faith. Forgiveness is the hardest thing to do. For some of us here today, listen, you have worked through so much in your life and you might not have that huge pain file. Maybe you don't, you don't have that person in your mind like, I know I have to forgive this person. You could be here today and you could be part of the group that has huge issues right now of unforgiveness in your life, people you have not forgiven. If you're in here today and you're like, man, I'm, I'm doing pretty good on this, don't let this pass you by. Don't go, eh, I've heard this and I feel good about it. Investigate once again. Who is it you have not yet let completely go of? And if you're in here today and you know that you have bitterness and unforgiveness for somebody in your life and you can feel it right now, you wish you could get out of this place, maybe God has something for you in this that he wants to set you free as you set them free. Can we just be honest? Can can we just take off the churchy smile for a minute? 
Is that okay? Can, can we just say the truth is, for people that have really hurt us, that they don't deserve forgiveness? Can I, can I say that? Can I say what we feel? That they're, they don't deserve it. They don't deserve forgiveness. Can we just admit that forgiving others and forgiving our enemies and forgiving those who have robbed us, defamed us, and that they've wronged us, they've changed us, they've, they've hurt us, they've betrayed us, I don't, they don't deserve my forgiveness. They don't deserve it. I feel completely justified in this by the way that they treated me and what they did to me. And just to prove this, I'm gonna give you an easy example that we all know of someone who does not need to be forgiven. We all know this person, and the reality is this person, in no way have they done anything that deserves forgiveness. They've done nothing good enough to deserve forgiveness. They don't deserve it. The person who doesn't deserve forgiveness, it's you. It's me. You see, we've done nothing to deserve the forgiveness that we've been granted in Jesus. We, don't, we, don't, we haven't been good enough to earn this. But there was a man, unlike any other 2,000 years ago, that was crucified. Not because you were so good that you deserved it, but because he was good. And he was love, and he was grace, and he was mercy, and he rose from the dead, and he offered us forgiveness, not based upon our work, but based solely on his work. You see, we don't deserve that, but we have been forgiven, not just of one situation and one thing, of everything, of all things, past, present, and future. What you're gonna do tomorrow that one too. What you're gonna do when I keep preaching for another hour and what you say about me, that one too. Listen, he's gonna forgive all the future ones and, and you don't deserve it and neither do I. But in Jesus, his grace, his peace, his love goes beyond that. Who deserves forgiveness? No one, especially not me and you. And perhaps that person you're thinking of that doesn't deserve it, perhaps they're like you and me. Yeah. Maybe they don't deserve it but maybe we've been given such grace and love and mercy by our Savior that we can say, based on his goodness and his grace and his love, I am based on what he's called me to do and who called me to be, I will forgive. I will let them go and free myself from the bitterness. Now I want to say one thing, just an aside. Forgiveness is not forgetting. It's not what he's asking. I have to say this. I have to put this in here. If someone's abusing you, you need to get out. He's not asking you to stay in sustained beatings. If, 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 if someone has abused you in the past, he's not asking you to be their best friend. If you have been robbed and taken advantage of in and, and, and business and, and God asks you to forgive them, yes, do. But it doesn't mean you have to go give them all your money again. If you've, been, if you've been hurt over and over by your ex, and yes, you need to forgive them for your benefit, for, for your spiritual life, but it doesn't mean you ever have to entrust your heart to them again. Okay? But forgiveness, yes, we need to step into that. We're commanded. He says you must do it. And what about this? Well, they didn't ask for repentance. This says if they asked for repentance. Well, again, Jesus died on the cross, and what did he say? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Were you so sorry when he died? You weren't, we weren't here. We'd be asked to be people of forgiveness who grant forgiveness to those in our life. Listen, look at me. I know, it's, I know who deserve it 
the least. Because I'm that person. I didn't deserve it. They asked for more faith. They asked Jesus for more faith. And how do you respond? He responds like this. Next verse. Boys, your request has been deemed worthy of the kingdom. And he breathed on them. And their faith increased to such a level they all forgave all people. That's not what it says. But we think, give me more faith. And he goes, now you can forgive. I feel the faith. Whoa. (laughs) You know what he said? Because that's what we think. If we ask for more faith, he goes, oh, good, good, son. There's, there's some more faith for you. He replied, more faith? If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to the mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. You don't need more faith. You just need the littlest bit. You don't need a lot of faith. You just need a tiny bit of faith. You know what I believe that tiny bit of faith is? What I believe the basis, the smallest kernel of faith is? I believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God who lived, who died, and who rose again for my sins. I have that. And because I'm armed with such an amazing potential of the kingdom growth, because I'm armed with that much faith, and there's that much forgiveness in there, I'm armed to go forgive anyone. You don't need an oak of righteousness You need a little tiny seed. He will grow that. But you don't need it. He says, no, no, your wish is not granted. (laughs) You don't get more faith. All you need is this much. And and as we close this, in in communion, up here we have a bunch of tiny mustard seeds. You see that? I'm not joking. They're up here. And they're up there. Mustard seeds. And you're going to get communion and you're going to get a mustard seed. And you're going to hold these things. And I want you to go back to your chair and I want you to sit and I want you to look at the communion which is the symbol of Jesus Christ and the the crucifixion, death, and resurrection of who he was. The symbol of his blood, the symbol of his body. This is by what we are forgiven for. This This is the very thing that we enter into the covenant with God where he forgives us. This is the smallest kernel of our faith that says you can forgive anybody because guess what? Guess what, son? Guess what, daughter? You've been forgiven of all things. You've been forgiven all things. As you hold the the evidence of God's great forgiveness in one hand and you hold the seed in the other, look at it and say, with this seed, and think of the situations, think of the people who you have justified anger against who are hurting you continually or have hurt you in the past. If you have this much in this, you can forgive them because you have been forgiven all things. And this is going to seem a little strange. I looked up on Google, so it's okay. I want you to take communion and thank God for the forgiveness he's given you. The body, the bread. Father, thank you for the communion. Thank you for the forgiveness. Thank you for the covenant which I am forgiven completely, past, present, and future. And Father, for those that I am not forgiven, I have this much faith in me. And literally, I want you to have this much faith in you. Yeah. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can forgive all people. And if you have faith in Jesus, that he is who he said he is, you are equipped to be an agent of grace and forgiveness. And this is where it comes down to, that we love God 
and we love people. Amen? For some of us here today, we got some big dealings to do. I want you to take this very seriously. As you look at that mustard seed, I want you to know who it is. Who is it that requires that much faith from you to forgive them? And let's become a people of forgiveness and grace. Jesus, we thank you that you gave your life. Listen, Jesus, you paid it all. You paid everything so we can be forgiven. You laid it all down for my forgiveness. And I today am going to lay down all that I have against my brothers and sisters and those, again, those are my enemies, those people. I'm going to lay it all down. I mean, for the first time, just say, I forgive them. Now, yes, it's a process, but Jesus, I pray that you would move in us today to help the orchard be a people that, that loving God and loving, loving others is not blocked, but that we are passing this through us. That we all have faith that we can forgive all people. Thank you, Jesus. We sing to you in Jesus' name. And all said...